0: Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you for joining us, and tonight we're going to be talking about um, current events, and specifically, we're going to be talking about disinformation, what's going on in this country concerning uh, everything we're hearing about uh, different information on the Internet. And with us again is our returning guest, John Percy. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Nick. Uh, You've been with us before, and I know you're a professor over at Cuyahoga Community College, and your expertise is dissecting and understanding the Internet and what kind of misinformation and disinformation is out there. Uh, This past week, we've noticed, uh, actually we've had the last two weeks, some crazy things going on in the country, and computer disinformation has been playing a big part of that what's your take on what's been happening all the way from the uh, attack on the capitol building to the
1: uh recent actions by congress that's a great beginning point nick um and again we do tape this a little bit in advance but the information that i'm seeing as we sit down and discuss is telling me that the fbi is now learning that um The attack that happened on the Capitol on January 6th had been planned for weeks prior to that day itself. And uh, what happened was not motivated by anything that President Donald Trump or other speakers did that day. For example, there were pipe bombs that were found. It takes a lot of time to make that type of bomb, and it takes a lot of planning to make that type of bomb. So I I think it's important that we be aware of the facts. And uh, as I have mentioned to some friends of mine on social media, I've been looking assiduously to find a major news media outlet that has kind of presented the facts. So like a balance sheet pro and con for and against the impeachment of uh, Donald Trump. And thus far, I haven't seen one. I don't think there's ever been a legitimate, you know, kind of examination of the facts around it. But again, I don't think that was ever the desire. Uh, Social media moved extremely quickly, unbelievably quickly to uh, take away um, a person's right to so to speak, express himself or herself on their social media channels. And I think what was what is kind of ironic is the FBI is now noting uh, in its documentation that uh, the plotters who did uh, the violence on September uh, on January 6th actually were using Facebook communications with each other to plan and carry it out. So by its own standards, maybe Facebook should just take itself off all social media platforms, Nick. Well,
0: I, I, I can see because it has become quite an intricate part of of our entire culture is Facebook. Uh, Everyone can check Facebook, check themselves out, check their friends out. It's become a routine, almost like a cup of coffee in the morning. It is to have your Facebook checked sometime during the day. But uh, I I hear what you're saying with regard to the impeachment issue. And the question is, uh, with regard to uh, President Trump's comments uh, on on the – at the White House, <clears throat> excuse me, publicly uh, on Wednesday, did that start anything? And obviously with pipe bombs and people coming prepared with protective equipment and uh, with with weapons, uh, this is something that they've had planned in advance. So the question is, what's the role of the president? Uh, were the president's comments a coordinated effort to just move things forward based on something he already knew about? Or was the president's comments totally independent? And Correct. is there any way we could connect those? Do, do we have any information or suggestion that the president heard of these things also? Like we mentioned, it's all over the Internet, and it was prior on Facebook. So was the president aware of that chatter, that we call it, that was
1: going on? Right, or maybe the more significant question is if the president was not, but the FBI was, then perhaps the FBI had a responsibility to alert the president and ask the president to do and say things that might have possibly been able to prevent some of what was going on from going on. Uh, One thing for sure, and this is maybe more your bailiwick than mine, but um, in, in media and journalism, we do kind of cover law and a bit about that. And the Supreme Court in 1969 issued a decision known as the Brandenburg case, and it actually came out of an incident in Ohio. But the Supreme Court in a unanimous ruling said that um, unless the advocacy is directed to inciting or producing immediate lawless action and is likely to incite lawless action, it is protected speech. So people who have very carefully, word for word, looked at what Donald Trump said on January 6th, don't see any words that kind of pass that. Did that, that, that constitutional muster according to what the Supreme court has ruled more than 50 years ago. So people who are saying, Oh, we have, to, we had to impeach because he was citing law. Well, speech wasn't. And, uh, even if, even if you don't, you know, look, listen closely to the speech. If you just look at the law, the law clearly says that that's not, um, that's not grounds for, uh, any type of crime. And the person, by the way, that, that was, um, incited back i think it was like 1964 was in cincinnati had been sentenced to a 1 to 10 year jail sentence in ohio and the supreme court threw out that that sentence because they said that was not constitutional so there's a really high standard in terms of what the supreme court and what courts say you can say you know and um in, before you can call it incitement or insurrection or something like that and You know, I'm no legal scholar. I do teach media and journalism studies, but from the way I teach it and the way I interpret it, there's no way that the president approached that standard in terms of what he said that day.
0: Well, um, I'm I'm listening to this, and and I always enjoy talking to you because we talk about disinformation. And when I think of disinformation, I I have to wonder what if I were an author of uh, political thrillers and uh, try to come up with a fictional story of, of how this all went down. And I think about things in the past, and you think about terms such as co-conspirators and so on.
2: What if,
0: and I'm not saying there's any information on this at all, but what if uh, the people within the government understood what was going on in social media, they knew that uh, Wednesday the 6th of January was going to be a big date with a lot of volatile people present, and that the president's uh, statement was anticipated, and that was going to be a go-ahead signal of some sort. Would we ever be able to find that out, do you think?
1: Boy, that is a that is a great question, Nick. And I think you used a key word there. I'll just maybe add a modifier to it. I'd call it a go signal. Um, as I pointed out in a previous uh, episode of The Advocate, um, what happened in May of 2020 with George Floyd, um, the, the country didn't go into some type of um, rebellion and riot situation because of George Floyd, per se. He became a ghost signal for some activities that I think had been long and previously planned. And I believe that situation repeated itself on January the 6th. Uh, truth be told, I, I think really, if, if the country was interested in trying to heal and in the best interest of everybody move forward, we would probably try to put together a couple of independent commissions or bodies. One that would explore what happened on January 6th. And then another one that really would, in my opinion, is so necessary, is explore what happened with the vote in the 2020 election. Uh, I'm not disputing that that Joe Biden is the next president of the United States come Wednesday. But I I will say this. uh, We had 74, almost 75 million people who did not vote for him. That is by far, by more than 10 million, uh, the biggest number of votes that ever have been cast against an elected president. There are a lot of people in this country that that think two ways, and I think at some point, the leaders of our nation, it should be incumbent on them if they really want to be good leaders, if they want to be, can I say this, wise leaders, uh, they would look for ways to try to bring sides together and try to compromise and build bridges rather than uh, rip down bridges and rip down sides and make things become further polarized. There was a prominent congresswoman just yesterday on social media that, that called for a commission to be established to reign in the media. And those are always scary and chilling thoughts for my role as a college professor who teaches in journalism. Uh, I believe one of the most important amendments to our constitution is the first one, and there are five freedoms that are enshrined in that first Amendment, and one of them is freedom of the press. So for uh, members of Congress to basically call to violate the First Amendment, and by the way, this person is extremely prominent on social media. And uses social media channels to get her ideas across. So um, is that disinformation in a sense? Uh, because she belongs to the majority party, uh, that could be construed as something that maybe the government might do in 2021. And that's a horrible path. I think that in the United States, we shouldn't even be considering going down. It's fraught well, with it's very, horrible ramifications.
0: It's a very very dangerous path. And of course, First Amendment and the amendments apply to government action, not to private corporate action. And Correct. if the government starts getting involved in, in actually regulating freedom of speech That's that's very, very, very treacherous And uh, we're going to take a short break when, uh, when, when we get back We're going to be talking again to uh, John Kersey About uh, computer disinformation And really how it's affecting current events today As we all know So we're going to uh, come back and talk about the thought of the um, one of the thoughts I had was the idea of required thought the, the old way of thinking about government and controlling things is sort of out because we have a new reality and I think John was recommending some commissions or studies but I, I think we do need to have some new reality uh, injected into what we're doing and how we do business. We're going to take a short break. This is Nick Phillips. I'm the advocate on WHK. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. can get no
2: I can get no
0: sat- Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And tonight we're talking to John Kersey, professor uh, at Cuyahoga Community College, specializing in disinformation. Not that he's spreading disinformation but he's recognizing how that is troubling to all of us with regard to the current events of the day. John, as always, thank you for joining us. You know, uh, as we were talking in the last break, uh, in the last segment actually, about what's going on with disinformation, how social media is really the conduit for what's happening uh, out on the streets many times. Uh, that's basically the control of information and people in a free society like we have with free social media, we're allowed to put anything we want out there. So as we've all often talked about, the question is, how do we know what to rely on, what is truthful and what is not truthful? But when a government starts controlling what you can and can't hear, uh, that becomes a dangerous situation. Uh, for example, coronavirus and what's going on in China. What what can you tell us about that? How are they using the power of controlling knowledge? Nick, there are some
1: scary parallels between what China does in terms of Internet and controls and some of what we're seeing here in the United States. And I'm not sounding like a big alarm bell right now. I'm just asking people to kind of think about it and, and be aware of that. Uh, China has, uh, early on, even going back to the end of the 19th century, Realized that the, I mean, 20th century realized that the internet was a danger. So they put up uh, something called the Great Firewall, which basically prohibits people inside from China having objective access to information. But what does that mean? It meant that in January of 2020, when the coronavirus was really hitting uh, Wuhan and Hubei province very, very hard, uh, the Chinese Communist Party uh, basically ratcheted up its control system. They have uh, an uh, an arm of the government that has more than 2 million employees in Beijing alone. And what these people do is they basically scour all of Weibo and all the social media in China. And they have devised extremely uh, AI-based ways of controlling the narrative, controlling the story that appears on Weibo and WeChat and other things that are allowed in China. And what they did basically was steer away from anything that was bad. Even though seven hundred million Chinese were in lockdown at one point, the word lockdown was prohibited from being used, for example, in social media. Uh they lied about what was going on in Wuhan province. They actually called eight people and including a couple of doctors the police did and basically severely reprimanded them and basically said, We're gonna send you to a re education camp if you don't, you know, quit talking about what you're doing. So they covered up and controlled information internally. And that was the first, um, how can I say this, first sign of what was really going on inside of China. And then the second thing we saw, and it's kind of funny, right, because China prohibits Facebook and Twitter and other kind of Instagram and social media being used inside their country. But yet they have their own agents, their own spy, so to speak, uh, with accounts all over the world. And they're trying to basically attack democracies and attack Western countries with those posts. So in March, we saw them doing a whole slew of posts on websites that were critical of what the United States and other nations had done in response to the coronavirus. And actually, they were just out and out lying. Uh, a bunch of Chinese agents put things on U.S. social media that kind of were insinuating that, that President Trump in mid-March was going to institute a nationwide lockdown to try to stop the coronavirus in the United States. Well, it was completely false. It never happened. It never was even considered. But yet, the Chinese wanted to get that narrative out there. So that was why, maybe ten months ago, some of the listeners on the Advocate may have seen things to that effect in their social media. It actually came out of a disinformation effort led by the Chinese.
0: The uh, the idea of controlling information and limiting what you can do, like in China, uh, which has about 1.3 billion people, uh, I I think of the the relationship between security and feeling safe and freedoms. And it seems like when people feel unsafe and security issues are being raised, people are are often willing to give up freedoms in exchange for security. Do you see that happening now, uh, not only in China, where they're justifying for security reasons, uh, limiting what's going on on the Internet, but what's going on in this
1: country as well? Well, it certainly has been happening for a long, long time in China. And sadly, I believe it's also happening a much lesser extent, but it's also happening in the United States. Uh, the masks, for example, mask mandates. Uh, nothing in the federal government gives the president or the CDC or the federal health agency the power to uh, mandate that everybody in the United States wear a mask. Uh, same thing in most state constitutions. Yet we've seen uh, mandates uh, you know, bandied about in some states and not in others. And what that's done, it's kind of contributed to a general lack of the public's trust in terms of the ability of the government to function. And whether we like it or not, there are people in in you know there are people in our country that kind of think two ways. There are people who believe, just like Ronald Reagan did, the ten most dangerous words in the English language are "I'm from the government and I'm here to help you." But by the same token, yeah. But by the same token, there are people who basically say, "Well, the government ought to be helping us out in the coronavirus. They ought to be providing economic support. They ought to be providing health information. They ought to be providing accurate information about the virus." Well, you know, this isn't a newsflash at this point, right, because we've been experiencing this for nearly a year now. If any country, if the United States or any country in the free world had the absolute answer for solving the coronavirus, it would have implemented it already. There's no doubt about that. There shouldn't be any doubt in anybody's mind about that. So what happens is because we don't have answers, we all become subject to disinformation. And again, in the previous versions of this program, we've talked about the anti-vaxxers and the Gateses and the the the, the Soviet Union, Russia, trying to connect uh, 5G and cell phone towers through the coronavirus and just some of the other crazy things that have been out there. But what happens is if people are only trying to seek answers and people aren't kind of willing to think and look for themselves, and again, we've talked about steps you can do to check and verify things that you see, they become more susceptible to falling for disinformation and, and fake things out there and that that is still part of the problem as we fight the coronavirus the, vi- the vaccines themselves are all 94 and 95 percent effective but we're seeing in practice now large swaths of the american population refusing to take the va- take the vaccine in my mind that just doesn't make sense
0: no it, it doesn't and that points back to the the loss of trust and i know that the two divisions i i generally see with regard to this debate is on the one hand We have the people who are focusing on their constitutional rights to remain free, do what they wish, and not be told by the government what they have to do. There's a resistance to that. Yet, on the other hand, we have the medical science that says, here are the things we have, like a a sound vaccine. Everyone needs to take it for the general good. And then we, we go back to the Constitution and how the states are given the police power. And that is the police power to protect the public safety, human life, and property. And they're allowed to, to make these kinds of orders, and people are refusing to follow. And you're not going to be able to enforce that on everyone. But as long as we have this dichotomy between the people who want to emphasize their freedoms versus complying with what's best from a public health standpoint, uh, they, they seem irreconcilable at this point. Uh, do you see any? resolution to this
1: so we can get everybody back and put an end to this COVID stuff? Well, two observations about that, Nick, and one is with our country. And then the second one, I want to roll back to China. Um, In our country, I think probably the most important thing is that um, all elements of government, the medical community, uh, politicians, and I want to stress, there are politicians that aren't in power right now. Um, They could do everything they could to restore the public's faith in the vaccine. Uh, they, they could, uh, take shots. They could do a big broad based campaign to convince people that the vaccine is going to be good and helpful and beneficial. Um, we were children back then, but we both remember the polio vaccine campaign Oh yeah. and how everybody wanted to they'd line up and wait for hours to take that vaccine because uh, polio was such a horrible disease, Well this is worse still, but yet we, we don't have the public trust that's necessary. Uh, the other part of this, and this is the one I think that is important to recognize Is Perhaps, in fact, for sure, part of the reason we don't have that trust is that we are subject to disinformation that's being spread by Russia, by China, and by other countries about the effectiveness of of the vaccines they have been assailing and attacking at. Uh, I think the craziest thing of all, and, and people in Europe have recognized this for some months now, is China actually delayed telling the world about the coronavirus vaccine until they figured out how they could use it for maximum advantage. If we had known three or four weeks before when we found out the genome sequence for this vaccine, for example, we would have been three or four weeks earlier down the road to uh, to a vaccination and the steps we could have taken. But yet China withheld that from people. Uh, why did they do it? I'll, I'll give you an early example. Uh, they sent their agents out and they basically cornered the world's market on personal protective equipment, regular masks and 95 masks, shields and all of that. And then in March, when the whole world needed that, China was then selling it back to other countries at 20, 30, 50, 100, as much as 1,000% more than the price that they had paid to obtain it back in January, when they knew how bad the coronavirus was and they weren't sharing that information with the rest of the world. Well, that, uh, that seems like a whole whole topic we can explore. It is. Uh, and and here's, here's the crazy thing, right? Uh, the prime minister of Australia actually called them out on it and said, we want to do an independent commission. He did this in early April. So guess what China's doing? They're now doing a shadow importation ban. They're, they're basically prohibiting the importation of many, many products in Australia. They're trying to punish China Australia economically for seeking the truth about the coronavirus. Wow. Well, we're out of time for,
0: for today. But these certainly are interesting times. And, and, John, we're going to have to have you back again to explore this continuing story, this novel that we're, uh, we're living in right now. So, John, thank you very much. John Kersey, Cuyahoga County, or Cuyahoga County Community College. Thank you, John. Thank you, Nick. And we'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Nick Phillips with you here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Cleveland, Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking to a psychologist concerning the effects of COVID and how it's, ham- how it's uh, affecting us psychologically. With us, we're talking to David Dempsey, David, or, I'm sorry, Richard Dempsey. Richard, thank you for joining us tonight.
2: Uh, thanks for having me. It's
0: always a pleasure. Uh, oh, uh, it's, it's great to you know, find out something from people who are working with people and can tell us actually what what is happening. Uh, Tell us exactly your title and and what you do on a daily basis. Okay, Uh, well, I'm Rich
2: Dempsey and I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. And on a daily basis, I work with children and adults uh, providing mental health counseling for a range of different conditions.
0: Now, now to be clear, when when you're doing this, this you're the person who actually spends time with patients, and you listen to the details of their story, and you take notes, and you you spend more time than, say, a psychiatrist may spend with someone.
2: Uh, that's correct. Yeah, typically the time that I'm spending with my clients is upwards of an hour, and uh, I certainly do have the privilege of understanding what uh, has been the trouble and. Uh, the privilege of trying to walk with them through those moments in their lives.
0: And uh, throughout that, with your training and experience, uh, you can give them some uh, sort of over-the-horizon views as to what's happening and what will be happening in their lives. Uh, Over the last uh, number of months, going back to March 2020, we've been dealing with COVID. And most recently, we're still getting about 7,000 new cases of COVID in the state of Ohio every week and uh, the most recent death count was for the uh, uh, for the last day of last week was 6 or was 78 people with an average of around 79 people dying per day in Ohio and hospitalizations about 241 which is down from an average of about uh, 300 uh, 311 individuals and the number of ICU admissions was down last uh, well, yesterday, to 17. COVID-19. I mean, it's a scary thing. We have uh, people dying, people still going to the hospital, people still getting COVID. It still has a certain lethality to it, which definitely has to scare people. Uh, Mr. Dempsey, with regard to the people you see, how often does COVID come up in their anxiety explanation? Oh, I
2: could say pretty generally, I've been talking about COVID-19 pretty steady since March of 2020. Uh, it's a very common topic that I encounter, uh, and rightfully so, uh, it makes perfect sense to me given all that's going on with this disease and our challenges to try and manage it and to keep healthy that, quite naturally, uh, our anxieties have been on the uptick. And so now, I always look. Have... And... Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, pretty regularly, and uh, I, you know, I find that uh, people are asking the questions of, you know, am I overthinking this, and you know, can you provide me with some, some tips and some ideas that can help me to better manage this? And certainly, that's something that I do, and that's something that the mental health community uh, professionals is here to do.
0: When uh, people uh, come to you, first off, I, I look at counselors as being sort of life coaches, to sort of, with your again, as your experience and training, uh, sort of help people see what's coming, and uh, offer them some suggestions on how to handle it. Uh, with the COVID, what are some of the typical typical concerns that people have when you first talk to them? Uh,
2: they typically are talking to me about i think feelings that are related to grief grief over uh the loss of our sense of normalcy grief over uh, uh something that we call ambiguous grief grief that feels very open ended uh because really we're we're lacking uh a clear end to what we're all experiencing right now um and then what kind of comes along with that are the anxieties of uh how do i keep myself safe and uh you know realizing gosh i'm not leaving the house as much as i did i don't i don't feel so good because i'm not talking to people like i used to and I hear complaints about uh digital connections are just not the same and so i do hear uh about this and i guess to kind of speak to your your point about what i you know what i do is i don't know that i look to the future i think i, I provide uh people with an extra set of eyes and ears. And certainly part of what I talk about with them has to do with avoiding future trouble. Um, but it's also being with them in, in the moment as they are experiencing a lot of this uh, in terms of anxiety and grief and, um, you know, looking for ways to manage it. And so I, I think what I heard you asking about was what are some of the what are some of the ideas that I, that I have? Is that correct? Is that what you're asking me yes.
0: about? Well, okay. well, basically, yeah. The, because when we, we talk about uh, grief, ambiguous grief, we talk about the COVID. We, we talk about grieving and the change of lifestyle, like we've given up something, given up social contact with people, given up going to movies, giving up a lot of things. And I think when this first started back in March, we're, we're like 10 months into this now. And it's just not ending. Although with the vaccine, it seems like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But as we are experiencing this grief and this whole COVID situation is getting very old, uh, when when people come with problems, are they coming with problems that uh, they can't sleep well at night? Uh, their personalities are becoming more negative, or what? What kind of things do they complain of? And what? What do you offer as far as recommendations on how they can, I guess, get better and, and get through this like the rest of us? And I'm not saying the rest <laughs> of us are getting through it at all, but it, it right, will happen. Right, so, um, I am hearing complaints about
2: sleep. I'm hearing uh, complaints about overall fatigue, feeling uh, extra irritable, maybe uh, quicker to get angry, things that ordinarily didn't bother them are now uh, very troublesome to them. Uh, as far as children go, there are complaints of anxiety, complaints of uh, against sleep issues with children, problems paying attention at school, uh, and, and, you know, similar. So I guess you know, what I, what I recommend or what I typically talk about related to sleep is that our, our sleep is kind of a funny animal and it responds to what we do in terms of our routine. So I really impress upon people the importance of having a, a regular schedule for when they are trying to get to sleep and to follow that schedule because uh, it has a big impact. But in addition to that, I talk to them about how, um, some of the worries and concerns that seem uh, so strong to them in those moments while they're lying down or while they're lying in bed are, 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 are that way because it's all that you've got to kind of focus on. And so sometimes there are some simple tricks that can be done to kind of direct their attention away from some of that worry. And some of them are more practical, like getting out of bed, writing down what it is that's on our mind and bidding it farewell until the morning. Uh, all the way to trying to count backwards from ten thousand, or oh my. Uh, you know, uh, different sorts of tricks like that that kind of help us distract ourselves from the worry and the anxiety.
0: Do you do you see a uh, division between people who one uh, take more of a political view toward COVID that it's being overhyped, it's no worse than the flu? Uh, And they're getting cross messages from science versus the people who are into the science. They know this is a pandemic and they know how viruses spread and they're taking precautions. You see a dichotomy there between those two types of people? That's a very good question. Uh, Do I see?
2: I think that I, in my practice this over the past year, I've encountered folks who have lost someone to the virus and so I think I've understood that they are taking it very seriously and uh, have been impacted by it directly. I have also encountered uh, families who have become ill with COVID and uh, have otherwise recovered and I think you kind of look back on it as uh, maybe it wasn't so bad after all. I have not spent a lot of time uh, in sessions kind of you know, debating through uh, the political nature of things, but certainly, you know, it's something that I think is being, you know, it's brought to a session in terms of how am I to respond to this and, uh, you know, am I doing it the political, right way, which of
0: course I don't. Well, well let, me, let, me sort of, let me hold up there because we're, we're going to take a short break. Uh, And we'll resume with talking about how do you handle the attitudes people bring to you concerning COVID as to what kind of advice you give them. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips, and we're talking to Counselor Richard Dempsey concerning counseling over COVID related issues. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Cleveland, Nick Phillips Lucy, with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to Richard Dempsey, a counselor who's been counseling people for years. But uh, since March, the term COVID-19 has been cropping up. Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. You know, We, we talked about uh, how the 10 months of being threatened by COVID-19 has uh, taken a toll on just about everybody in one form or another. What are some ways that we can support our own mental health? Or what are some of the signs we can look at to see if we're actually experiencing some maybe emotional or mental stresses of our own? Okay. Uh, well, some of, the, you know, some of the signs that
2: um, you know, we're, the person's encountering some extra social and emotional stress would be uh, feeling a little bit more irritable, having some difficulty with sleep, noticing some changes and how you're approaching some of your daily stresses. And um, that would be something you want to pay attention to. And in terms of, you know, what are some of the, the best practices or what we've been able to come up with so far is uh, talking a lot to people about being sure that they're getting out of the house. Um, there, there, uh, there was a study recently done Uh, Out of South Africa, looked at about 10,000 adults, and they found there are 78 countries across 18 languages. About 10% of those people were talking about, you know, we are really struggling here. And another 50% were reporting, we're experiencing some moderate stress. And what was interesting was about 40% are flourishing. So we're really talking to people about the importance of getting out of the house and getting some exercise because the isolation is the thing we think is probably promoting mental health challenges the strongest. And so anything that a person can do to decrease their sense of being alone is going to be to their benefit. Um, In addition to that, some of the things that you you might logically expect, uh, if you are... Not getting enough sleep, uh, you're going to feel pretty bad. So, paying attention to your sleep and uh, making an effort to get, you know, your average adult is around seven to eight hours of sleep per night. That's going to help us out as well as our diet. And so, paying attention to the sorts of foods that you're eating and uh, uh, paying attention to your use of caffeine as well. Caffeine has an effect on how anxious we feel. And, um, Again, I guess the thing I would stress is that even though we've got limited options for connecting with one another, it doesn't mean that we don't have any options. So I really encourage people to take advantage of some of the modern technologies, um, using Zoom, using FaceTime, things of that sort, to have a video call with family members. And uh, lift our spirits just to give a call to check in with someone that we haven't talked with in a while. And so maintaining those social connections and then in terms of kind of monitoring your own energy level, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to set aside some time to unwind, whether, uh, you know, you find that you can do that with music or, or yoga or just a conversation with a good friend. These are things that uh, are going to help all of us to maintain our emotional health throughout a time like this.
0: Well, I, I could see when you spend a lot of time at home, you have to really resist the uh, tendency to make a habit of doing nothing and let time pass, that uh, coming up with a scheduled set of uh, functions that you have to do is very important. Keep keeps the days moving constructively. Uh, you mentioned technology, I guess. A lot of people are using Zoom, which... Uh, I guess we're lucky to have it around during this particular time because if we didn't, we wouldn't even see people for the most part. Uh, How about children? We haven't spoken much about the children. Uh, Is this COVID pandemic affecting children much?
2: Oh, absolutely it is. Um, um, I'm seeing an uptick in kids who are... Uh, coming in and uh, reporting that they are now afraid of things that they have not been afraid of in the past, and some of that is having to do with uh, attending school, being out in public, um, going places with their parents, and so it certainly is affecting kids. There's also, I think, been an increase in reported depression and struggles with low mood. some of the signs that kids are struggling have to do with, you know, excessive crying, uh, more irritation than you might expect. Um, kids kind of going back to behaviors that they've outgrown. Things having to do with like toileting challenging, academic challenges. Um, kids who are uh, kind of excessively worried, asking uh, repetitive questions about the when and the where and the why, and again, like I mentioned earlier, refusing to do things that they ordinarily wouldn't have had any trouble doing. Um, Kids also tend to let us know they're not feeling good when they're talking about uh, excessive aches and pains, different uh, headaches and belly aches, and uh, when those are difficult to explain, uh, a parent might suspect that emotional stress is bringing on some of those complaints.
0: Um, how do you how do you kids, dig down into it and find out that this is somehow related to COVID?
2: Uh, children tell me. Uh, I, you know, I, I ask the question. I you know, when I have an opportunity with a child, I talk to them about Are you worried about this? And they can tell me. Most often, um, sometimes that can be determined, and uh, no response at all uh, when. And I'm interested in talking about that. There's certainly a clue that uh, something's being avoided, and maybe we can look into that a little bit further by talking with mom and dad. But um, they they tell me, they, they say, yeah, I'm afraid of getting sick. I'm afraid uh, my grandparents are going to get sick. I'm afraid that if I visit with my grandparents, they may become ill, and I'm feeling pretty rotten about not being able to see them like I ordinarily would. And... You know, everything in between. Um, You know, children who ordinarily were attending school every day, you know, I guess the thing I keep hearing talked about is that one day in March, we're told we're going to go home. And we really haven't been back to usual since then. And um, I think it is taking its toll on their sense of uh, what's okay and what's safe. And, you know, we're feeling uh... the, the stress of this as well, and that
0: impacts the kids. With the, uh, the news broadcast, the national news broadcast, uh, showing uh, somewhat endless stories about ICUs being filled up, uh, refrigerator trucks being brought in for dead bodies, uh, mm-hmm. these are awfully stark images and, and threatening stories. Uh, how young of an age is there where, where the children start becoming affected by this? Are we talking about 10, 11, or talking about 4 and 5? Um, I, I would say around that, like that 10,
2: 11 age, but, um, of course, you know, some of those, some of those
0: images would be disturbing to a younger child. Well, with that, and by having a counselor talking to them, there's some strategies you can apply to help calm them down, or there's a certain amount of reality involved, but how do you bring these kids down from being anxious and upset? So it's, uh, you
2: know, it in, it involves a lot of things that we would talk about as adults. Uh, you know, often we're asking ourselves, well, what are you in control of? What can you do about this situation? And what are some of the things you can do nothing about and we encourage each other to to dispense with the things we can't control and try to focus on the ones that we can. So I'm often talking to kids about, well, you know, are you washing your hands? And, you know, they say, Oh yeah. Are you, you know, are you eating good food? Oh yeah. And, you know, and so I remind them of the things that they can do. I'm also talking, you know, with their parents as well about things that they can do in the home that can, help to limit some of the effects of this. And it has to do with, like you mentioned earlier, uh, the images that are being broadcast uh, all day, every day. But it's okay to turn that off. It's okay to uh, limit how much kids are exposed to with that. And then I'm also encouraging parents to talk to their children in an age-appropriate way. So whereas, uh, you know, an adolescent uh, can... Can probably share with you what some of their thoughts and opinions are on a subject and they take a stance on it and you may be able to debate it. A uh, younger child really can understand things in, in a very simple terms. Uh there you know, there is a sickness and we're all trying to stay healthy and right now, mom and dad, we are washing our hands, we're wearing masks and this is what we well, let's, do and those kinds of simple sure, explanations. Sure.
0: Well well let's let's hope with the vaccine getting out and maybe seeing an end to this sometime in 2021. Uh, Richard Dempsey, thank you for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure having you share with us what you've been doing as a counselor during this COVID time. Thank you. I
2: appreciate you having me. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And I am looking forward to uh,
0: some good news with the vaccine myself. Oh, very good. And thank you all for listening tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a safe, healthy, and a good week. We'll see you next week. Good night.
2: And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind